Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. I am in Seattle. Tiffany is in Rome. Thank you so much for joining us for our Summer in Rome series. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first episode of season 10. Is that true? Yeah, season 10? Is that... I mean... As you know, Katie and I do not take breaks ever. <laughs> yeah, the seasons we are arbitrary. Take, yeah, well, I mean, we try to start them in September, I think, because September to me personally, at least, feels like the beginning of a new year, a uh, new school year. And since I haven't matured past school age um, emotionally, <laughs> clearly, to me, September is always the beginning of the year. And I feel like that's a good time to start a new season. And we just have wrapped up our summer in Rome. And I feel like this would be a good moment to start a new season. So I'm just throwing this at you. Do you agree? I agree. Sure. That sounds great. I like the idea of turning (laughs) over a calendar of some kind uh, at the end of the summer. I hate to think that it's the end of the summer, not just because I've enjoyed our summer. Oh, I love to think that it's the end. I'm thrilled that it's the end of the summer. I wrote you a text message today. I said, September is the most beautiful word in the English language. I believe that. Every time anyone talks about September... And like the first time September gets mentioned in conversation, it's usually like August by that time. And someone's like, yeah, I'm going to go to the, I have a dentist appointment on September 4th. There's, you know, something like that. Like you just hear September pop up in conversation. I'm always like, oh my gosh, it's almost September. It's almost here. <laughs> I guess. Well, if you lived in a place with such ridiculously hot summers that feel endless, you would be excited for September, I think. And also in Italy, nothing gets done in summer. Shops are closed, especially in August. Like I went to get some jewelry fixed and I like made a special trip to the jewelry store and it was like, we're not open until September 1st. And I mean, like I should have known. And it's just like, even Aurelio's school doesn't open until September 12th. And the teachers were like, okay, we'll send you the list of school supplies on September 11th. And I'm like, are you kidding why can't I find, I know what size notebook he needs until September 11th. Everything is on hold. I can't get anything done. I can't get anything done because I really was out of school, but also just because like nobody's around, nobody's doing anything productive. And so therefore I can't do anything productive. And by August, you're just like over it. I'm just (laughs) over summer. Let's get with regular life, please. I get that. But of course, living in Seattle, September is usually pretty nice, but You also feel like September is that turn of the page toward when it's going to get dark every morning and it's going to start drizzling all the time and it's going to be months and months of very, very dark weather and so many places in the world are the same way. So I totally get what you're saying and um, even I can still get that thrill at the idea of you even getting to go shop for school supplies with a child because it was always so (laughs) thrilling to like pick out what color notebooks you wanted, which... Even still to this day, I was just talking with a friend about this. What was it about getting to pick out what colored notebooks you had that was so impressive and so important as a child that even still to this day, as I'm like well into adulthood, I can uh, understand the tingle of delight that comes from such a thing. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but I feel the same way even today also. And It's something about new beginnings, new projects, 
new experiences because of course when you're a kid you know you've got your new teacher and like oh who's she gonna be and you've got your maybe you're gonna have different classmates and you're gonna learn new things I've never gotten over the excitement of that and whenever I start a new project you know I find having some kind of new office supply although I still call them school supplies it always helps just bring a little bit of excitement into it a new like diary or a planner or something it goes a long way yeah, so true. So true. So yes, I can get on board with this new season. Uh, hopefully it means that it's going to be our biggest and brightest season yet. Season 10, that seems like a big season. Crazy number. I know. And I feel like actually now that I know that it's season 10, we should have planned something to really shoot this off with a bang. But rather than do that, <laughs> we are going to get a little caught up on what has been happening. So the summer of Rome happened all summer long but that doesn't mean that katie was in rome all summer long i wish yeah in fact i have not been in rome now since may so truly the summer of rome was actually not me in rome uh, although i did live vicariously by revisiting everything that we taped when i was in rome but all summer long i've been in seattle and for much of the summer you Actually, we're on a big, huge trip to the United States with Aurelio and Claudio, your family, visiting your mother. And so, I don't know. I haven't even heard from you what that was like and what you did the whole time you were uh, over here. So, I don't know. I thought it would be fun to get caught up and just find out what it is that we've been up to. And then, perhaps next week, we can come up with the, the 10th anniversary extravaganza topic feel free to send in suggestions. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> quickly though, quickly send them soon. Yeah. Right away. Right away. So tell me though. So I know you successfully flew from Italy to Arizona and you were there for three weeks, I believe. What was it like to be yep. back in the United States? Well, as I've mentioned, I think before in this show, I have a knack for assimilating to new places or to, to going back and forth between the States and Italy. Like I never feel like I have culture shock anymore. I feel like I'm able to get into the American swing of things like really fast. And the first couple of years I lived over here, that was not the case. Um, but now I feel like I can go back and forth and it doesn't phase me, but there, I mean, there are always the things you notice, which we always, we always remark on every sort of every time I go back, we remark on this and there's always new things. And this year, the minor things were, wow, American butter is very yellow. I had forgotten about that. Also, it was early August and my mom had this gallon of milk and the expiration date, it was fresh milk. You know, it wasn't like the, the kind of milk that comes in a box in Italy. You can get this long conservation milk, which like, if you don't open it, it'll, it'll be stay good for months, you know? And then once you open it, you got to use it in four days. This was fresh milk. The expiration date was late October. And I was like, what? <laughs> How is that possible that it could possibly be good that long? And always I'm shocked at the size of things in the grocery store. So I guess my first stop must have been the grocery store because all the things I noticed were grocery related, but just huge. You, you, know, you cannot buy like a six pack of eggs or a quart of milk. It's everything is super sized and now super priced as well. I was also incredibly shocked with the prices of food 
just floored. Yes, we have a major inflation right now in that regard. You know what's interesting? I <laughs> recently noticed sometimes I can step outside of myself, even if I haven't been anywhere for a while, and notice something about the United States that I might not have noticed before. And one thing that's really been, I've noticed it so many times in recent days, I kept meaning to mention it to you. Uh, I took a ferry ride. And I also recently went to the Locks, the Ballard Locks, which is a kind of a tourist attraction in Seattle, I suppose. It's basically a spot where boats go from freshwater into saltwater and back again. It doesn't sound that exciting, but people really love it. And everywhere I've been, and granted, a lot of these things are kind of touristy, but everywhere I've been, I have heard so many different languages in one small moment that it really struck me as being distinctly American. On the ferry, for instance, I was sitting in the ferry uh, in a booth surrounded by a few other booths. Every booth around me, they were speaking a different language. Every single one. And you think these people were tourists? Uh, I think they're a mix of tourists and locals, honestly. I think it was both. But I mean, not even speaking the same language as each other. Like every single booth is speaking a different language. As I was walking through the locks oh. the other day, I counted just as I was walking just along one sidewalk, I passed five different languages. Wow. I know. And I just think that is something that is distinctly part of the United States, that there are just so many different immigrant groups living here that you can encounter so many different languages in such a short period of time. Wow, that's not something that I would have associated with the United States. I'm surprised, actually. I mean, granted, I live in a big city. so I, You do. It's you do. not like I'm living in rural Kansas. But even so, <laughs> I bet if you went to rural Kansas, you'd, you'd at least hear Spanish. Yeah. 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 So I do think that that's something that, I don't know. I just noticed it and I was like, how nice. That's so interesting. When you first said that, I thought, I thought you were going to say, or I was going to comment that maybe Seattle has become recently more of a international tourist destination. So I guess I didn't make the connection that they were locals, that they were immigrants. I was imagining in my head that they were tourists because at least for Italians, like Seattle is always like the city that everybody misses. You know, Italians never go to Seattle. They'll go to LA, they'll go to San Francisco. They always go to Las Vegas, like if they're on the West. And I'm always like, Seattle? No, 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 we didn't, we didn't go to Seattle. It just seems, I think, so far for Italians just seems like it's got to be up like in Alaska or something in their <laughs> yeah. minds because they never get up that far. Or I'll say, people always ask me, where are you from? And I'll say, I'm from Seattle. And they'll say, oh, beautiful. And I'm like, have you been there? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I think that if I were just to guess, most of our tourists from foreign countries come from Asia. Asia is the easiest place for us in Seattle to get to. Much harder Thanks, and much sense. longer to get to Europe. So I would guess that mostly Asian groups are what we have here. But uh, but no, I think this was mostly immigration. I recently had a cab driver, and I often talk to cab drivers, you know. <laughs> That's just me, the interviewer. And he had said that he had been living in Seattle for the last 15 years. And I said, well, where did you live before Seattle. And he said, Atreya, and asked me if I knew anything about it. And I was like, no, not really. Only the briefest amounts of information that I've gleaned from various news stories. So he was telling me all about it. One thing that he told me that I thought was so interesting that maybe you already know was that the Italians occupied that area for so long that a lot of the architecture is Italian architecture. And he said that one of the main cities 
is actually, I forget what it sounded like in the actual language, but he said that the translation of it is Little Rome. Yeah, he said it's it's just so beautiful. Really made me want to go visit there. But I was also asking him about his community here and and does he know a lot of other people who come from his country? And he said, oh, yes, there are so many people who live in Seattle that are from there. And I said, really? Wow. So many. And he said, oh, yeah, we have a huge community. And I said, well, just out of curiosity's sake, since we talk about it on the show so much, how did you all find each other? Because this was something <laughs> that I always wondered when I was living in Rome. Was like, how do I find other people that are from the United States? And he said, oh, you know, church and community groups. And once we you know, know each other, we just get to know the whole network. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a book I read this year called The Lonely Londoners, which is about immigrants from mostly Trinidad and some from Jamaica who are living in London in the 1960s, I think. And it was just this community all knew each other. It's the same sort of thing. They all sort of knew each other and had like this, I wouldn't say subculture because they were, they were integrated, but they all knew each other. They all had like nicknames and talk, you know, mm-hmm. so it was kind of interesting. I guess that happens. It makes sense. Of course. Um, and also if you come from such a small country like Trinidad, you know, you know, if, you know, someone is coming, they, they, they call you or they're like, oh, you know, my second cousin's brother's wife is coming. Welcome him to the city and show him around. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's a lot of that happening too. Yeah, maybe. So back to your visit though. So you do get right. to Arizona. What did you do for those three weeks? Three weeks is a long time to spend living with another person, even if it is your mother, I think, as an adult. You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. My mom's probably listening. It was wonderful. It was great. I mean, you know, there are always little there are always difficult moments when you're staying at someone's house. I mean, they say uh, house guests start to smell bad after three days, like fish with your mom. I think you got a little bit of extra time, maybe three weeks is the, is the amount of time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, it was definitely wonderful, challenging too, but we really took it easy on that trip. And that was the plan, you know, Claudio and I were both really tired. Claudio particularly was extremely tired from working and he didn't really have any other vacation all year works a ton six days a week so he really wanted to relax and my mom has a very comfortable home with a pool and my son loves to swim I mean I love to swim I I spent most of the vacation in the pool it was just really wonderful and playing with Aurelio and seeing his swimming improve every day and of course we did stuff we did some fun you know American culture stuff like we went bowling and you know just stuff like that I did some yoga with my mom and we took a small road trip up to northern Arizona to see the Grand Canyon because Aurelio had never been there and to go to Sedona we unfortunately were not able to do one of the big things that we really wanted to do which was to visit the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff because my husband is a huge astronomy lover. I have a certain amount of interest. It's not my passion, but, but I definitely am interested in it. And uh, you can visit this observatory at night and they let you look through their super powerful telescopes, one of which was used to f- discover Pluto. And we could do it because it was just like totally cloudy and raining all every evening we were there. But, you know, other than that, it was, it was really nice. Everything was just enjoyable. It was, there were a lot of fun, simple moments just a lot of family being together and relaxing and swimming, basically. You're still drying out, basically, <laughs> from all that water. 
I'm curious, and maybe uh, you won't want to answer this question since your mother is probably listening, but I'm trying to think from Claudio's perspective. Like, I think it's one mm-hmm. thing to be the daughter of the people that you go visit because you grew up with that person. But to be the spouse of the person who in the house where you're going back to the family, I, I feel like for me, three weeks would be a lot. Let me remind you, Katie, that while we were waiting for our apartment, the apartment that we bought, which we bought on paper, so it wasn't done, okay? It was supposed to be done earlier. We gave up our rental apartment in Trastevere. Also, I had to go back to work and I needed childcare. So it was both of those things. We moved in with my in-laws for what ended up being almost six months. Yes, I remember. You can go back to, I guess that's probably season two or something, but it was insane. I think about it now. I look back on it and I'm like, how did we get, how did I get through that? Because my husband lived at home until he was, you know, 30 or so. And, you know, I was with his parents and his mother is an angel, but even an angel mother-in-law can get hard after all, especially if you've got a baby. The father-in-law was a challenge. We were fighting by the end. I was fighting with my father-in-law. We had like yelling matches. We had real arguments. And my sister-in-law as well, who was not living there, but it's all one big family unit over there. So it's all involved. And so, you know, I remind him of this. I'm like, you're going to just, he was fine. He didn't complain. I mean, he had his moments too, obviously. But every time he, if he dared to criticize or to complain, I was like, listen, buddy, I lived with your parents for six months. And in a lot smaller home, a mm-hmm. lot smaller and no pool, no pool, obviously <laughs> also just no, they just have one small balcony. There's no yard. You can go sit and chill out in, you know, and I didn't even technically have my own bedroom. My mother-in-law gave up her bedroom to us and she was sleeping. I want to say with her daughter in the spare bed that the other daughter had moved out of. And the father sleeps in Claudio's old room that he had when he lived there. So we were sleeping in there, but I mean, it was, it was hard not to go on a huge tangent, but yeah, he can't really complain. So three weeks, it all went pretty well. Now, before you left, we talked a little bit about how your decision-making process and how you decided that you had to go to the U S this year, since it had been so long, but I know for a fact that you're thinking that the next, next summer you're going to go somewhere else. Uh, Japan has been high on the list for a long time. So knowing that, did that make it harder to leave? You know, I honestly wasn't thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) at At the moment of our departure, I didn't even think about it. I'm trying to convince my mom and my stepfather to come to not necessarily Rome, but the countryside around Rome for the entire month of June next year. And I'm trying to convince them to rent a house in the countryside with a pool where they can chill out and, you know, come into Rome if they feel like it, or there are so many lovely little towns North of Rome with places to see and like just wonderful little hidden treasures, you know, in these small towns and they've seen Rome. They've done, I mean, like they've both done Rome so much that they, you know, don't need to visit Rome again. So I thought instead of, you know, having them come to Rome and get an Airbnb, like, you know, and all of that and have the challenge of like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to meet up and the traffic and the chaos that is Rome? I thought if I'm still working from home next June, which I plan to be, Aurelia will be off school and we can just go there and stay with them. And Claudio can, you know, he can either commute because, you know, ideally won't be that far 
or he could come up on the weekends or what have you. So keeping that in mind, I felt like we're going to probably spend a good deal of time together next summer anyway. I'm not too worried about it. And I, you know, I thinking back, I didn't used to come to the States every year. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's just become so hard to travel. I don't know if you feel like that, like after your recent international trip, I just feel like travel is so miserable now. Although we, we were really lucky. We did not have any major snags. We had, you know, one minor delay of our first flight, which meant we needed to be rescheduled on a later flight, but this, it was stressful. You know, it was definitely stressful. And then, as you know, the stress of planning the trip, which we talked about, and I just feel like I kind of, (laughs) every time I'm like about to leave for the States or I'm in the middle of the trip, I'm like, I'm not doing this again. I'm not coming again. And, and that's what I, exactly what I felt last year in the middle of the trip. I'm like, this is my last trip abroad. Like, I'm just not <laughs> going back to the States ever. <laughs> I can't deal with this. Fair enough. Did so, I, t- I, mean, I guess I didn't tell you because I haven't spoken with you since our summer in Rome. But as I'm heading home from my summer in Rome, I had a very odd experience. Oh, yeah. We flew in and out of Europe through Amsterdam. So when we flew out of Rome, we flew up to Amsterdam and then, you know, took another flight to the United States. And can I just tell you really quick, that is the absolute best itinerary. If you're going to Seattle is Rome, Amsterdam, Seattle. I've done that before and it is the best and the fastest way. And I mean, I wouldn't do it any other way if I were going to Seattle. It was pretty great. It was better going out than coming in because on the way in, we had something like a four and a half, five hour layover (laughs) between the two flights. But going back out, it was a much tighter turnaround. But of course, this was still, um, this was back in May. So there were still masking requirements. They still had to check all your documentation. You had to make sure that you had had a negative COVID test before flying. And so it was much more of the little minutiae messing with you all the time type of travel. So I'm walking through Amsterdam airport with my mask on and I walk past a girl and both of us did a double take and turned around and looked at each other and we have masks on, you know, so you catch out of your eyes and she says, Katie Sewell. And I said, (gasps) Jenny, Jenny is a girl who's in my writing group. There are only four people in my writing group. So this is not just a person I know. This is a good friend of mine. And and I don't even know if we were aware that each other were in Europe at this time. And not only could we not believe it, that you're running into somebody who's an actual very good friend of yours in an airport on the other side of the world, but we were on the same flight back to Seattle. No way. Well, that must have been fun. Yeah. And that flight was relatively empty it wasn't super empty but she had a whole row to herself in the middle and so I just went back there and sat with her for a good hour and got caught up on her trip and mine and and the whole whole shebang it was quite interesting I've never I've run into people I knew in airports before but I've never run into somebody who was such a good friend on the other side of the world interesting yeah well how does it feel to be back fine I mean I probably could have stayed longer, to be honest with you. I probably could have done a full month if Claudio had had the time. I'm always a bit sad when I leave. I think that's pretty normal. But I'm also happy when I get home. And I think that's also normal for most people. Like there's a certain amount of like missing your own space and your own stuff and your the comfort of your routine and your own bed and everything that um, it's always nice to go back to. I will tell you there is something else that I noticed 
the big takeaway that I had this trip and Claudia was not like mentioning it too, is there is a level of sensitivity in the United States that doesn't exist in Italy. Sensitivity to words, sensitivity to tone of voice. I will say that I was with my mom who is already, sorry, mom, a very sensitive, I might say oversensitive person. <laughs> and you know, you have to be really careful your tone of voice, because if she's not looking at you and she doesn't see that you have a light expression on your face, she might misinterpret that, what you said, even though it was totally innocuous because maybe there was a sharp-ish tone of voice there. So this was definitely slightly influenced by my mom, but my stepdad too, you know, I was getting a lot of sensitivity from my stepdad, but even just beyond those two, you know, people that I was interacting with constantly, I noticed it just in general. And then in, in the very general sense of, you know, the words that you're not allowed to use now, let's just say, and I'm not one of those like anti-politically correct people. I think it's important that we try to be conscious of not offending people. You know, I'm a liberal minded person, but I think it might be going too far. I, it really struck me because just maybe a week before I left, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, an American girl who lives in Italy. And she was complaining about how Italians don't have filters and how Italians just, they they don't ever check themselves for if what they're saying is going to be offensive. And they often say things like, oh, you've gained weight, you know, or, oh, what did you do to your hair? You know, or that <laughs> yeah. dress doesn't suit you or, you know what I mean? Like they're just not as sensitive. And she was very put off by this. You know, she was very offended by maybe something that somebody said to her. And I totally agree. That is something that I've come up against as well. But I started to sort of maybe take the Italian side and be like, you know, maybe you should just get over yourself and not not be so offended by every single thing everybody says all the time. Because like some, sometimes it feels like people are just waiting to be offended. Like they're just like, you know, they've got this filter out and they're just waiting to like catch any possible offense that could possibly <laughs> be interpreted. And then they'll get to be offended. And um, not everybody, obviously, but it just seems like that sometimes. And Italians are just like, whatever, you know, and they're just so much more easygoing about that. Hmm, that's interesting. That's an interesting observation. I wonder if how much that had to do with where you were in the country. I, I don't have an answer for that either. Because I, I, don't I, I know it, the kind of hypersensitivity you're talking about. It's very well demonstrated oftentimes on social media in written example. I don't see a lot of people getting into fights around Seattle, but that's not to say that people wouldn't correct you if what you said. I mean, Derek corrects me occasionally, which I don't really mind. Sometimes I'll bicker with him about whether or not he's right. But, but yeah, I don't know... Um, I mean, I certainly see that kind of the sensitivity that you're talking about in news stories and, and stuff like that when they're covering multiple sides of an issue. You definitely see sensitivity around language terms. And uh, I don't know. For me, because I live here, I guess I've always taken that as a part of the growing process. The U.S. constantly trying to become better over time and get over some of the inequalities of the past, but it definitely can get into hypersensitivity as well. I can totally see what you're saying. So the politically correct movement, I think is officially dead, 
but the uh, the arguments and changes. Wait, how can you say that it's dead? I feel like it's like more popular and alive than ever. I feel like if you're not politically correct, you're a pariah. I mean, I, I think I that's guess, how I feel like it. I guess people don't refer to it that way anymore. That's more what I mean. Kind of like oh, so the terminology has changed. Yeah, like the the you know how there used to be all those tongue in cheek humor, politically correct books that came out and like what the the late nineties, the early two thousands. I forget when that was kind of a big movement of being like, ha ha fun. Let's make fun of the political correctness. Yeah. I just don't think that we would refer to it necessarily as political correctness, but I could be wrong. I, I don't know. Um, I, yeah, but I, it, it's essentially, I suppose the same thing. I, I think that we would consider it not so much being politically correct as trying to be more just and inclusive. So maybe it's just the terminology that's dead or not dead yes yes Changing, i mean but different. that's for sure and i mean that's just really one aspect of it mm -hmm. that's one small aspect of it i mean just coming across like again i don't want to harp on my own family especially because they might be listening uh, but i'm pretty sure my mother is the only person who in my entire enormous family who listens to this podcast which is really sad but thank and you Patty. thanks mom <laughs> at least you listen but you know, my sister, uh, who I didn't see this trip, but I saw her son, my mom, she said to me after I left, you know, she said, send me a few pictures of Parker, who you'll remember from the surprise, Aurelio surprise episode. But my nephew, who was in Rome in April, we saw uh, he came over to visit us in Arizona from California. And I took a bunch of pictures of him, but my mom didn't get any pictures of him. And she went to post on Facebook after we had left a sort of a little mini album of photos of my trip and she didn't have any pictures of Parker to post and she texted me several times because I guess I ignored the first few texts saying send me some pictures of Parker because if I don't put pictures of him your sister will be offended mm. that was not the first time that she brought up something about my sister being offended about this or about that um mm. So it was just those little things popping up, like, like seemingly everywhere. I feel like I, I can't, like, I've got to cover my mouth in, in so many different types of situations, whether it's the politically incorrect word that I don't know that is not acceptable anymore, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm not in the United States, so I don't keep up as well as I should, or, you know, saying something that to me seems innocuous which, you know, is offensive to somebody or not doing something that I should do that that offends somebody. Or like I said, the tone of my voice, my mom, we were walking out of, I'm sorry, mom, we were walking <laughs> out of, um, we were on our road trip and she knows that I love her. Uh, we were walking out of a, a, a gas station where we had stopped to obviously get gas, use the bathroom. And we were sort of having this debate between us and Claudio where we were going to have lunch. And my mom finally just sort of said, well, well, we're not going to skip lunch, are we? Because we were not, we were not agreed upon where we were going to do it. And I said, of course, we're not going to skip lunch. Like, that's exactly how I said it. Of course, we're not going to skip lunch, but she wasn't looking at me. And she goes, you hate me. <laughs> Something like that. And I was like, mom, like, come on, like, come on. What did I say? All I said was, of course, we're going to have lunch. So what she heard was like, mom, of course, we're going to have lunch for goodness. I guess. Don't be I an guess. idiot. <laughs> I guess. And I just felt like I cannot win. I am going to offend somebody no matter what I do. Perhaps the answer is that 
this past few years, countries have come together around the pandemic in different ways. And the U.S. got into a lot of fights with each other. And Italy tended to work together a little bit better. So maybe we're just all a little bit more raw. Who knows? I mean, what did President Biden say in his first speech taking over the nation was basically like, let's turn the temperature down a little bit on the rhetoric. So I think we are in a time in the United States where we need to... Well, put it like the president put it, turn the temperature down and like try to reconnect with what we actually like about each other rather than what we fight about so well. But that's interesting. That's an interesting observation. So would you say that this is different from prior times of you coming to visit? I mean, I think it's just, yeah, I guess maybe it was always the case. It's just getting worse. Or maybe it's it, it just so much time with my mom who is a sensitive person. So that magnified it for me. Mm. And maybe it's not that much worse. I, it's interesting that you think maybe the pandemic has something to do with it. I can see that. And the polarized political situation, even though there was never anything in a political situation. I was never in a situation where I offended someone about anything political that I know of. I mean, maybe I did, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's just like, take things a little bit less seriously. Americans are so high strung right now, which I get, I, I get it, but it's like, chill out. Nobody's trying to make you feel bad. Just go have a lemonade for goodness sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably leave it there, but yeah. we'll consider this the kickoff to season 10. And yeah, I mean, I know we've been spending the entire summer in Rome together, but it's (laughs) since in reality, I haven't seen your face for a couple months. It's nice to see you. You too. And I hope that you had also mentioned when you texted me earlier today that the jet lag has been a little bit brutal this particular trip. So here's hoping that that is over. That's you are completely on Roman time soon. No, no, I'm on Roman time. I'm just uh, I'm just sort of like going to bed later than usual. You know, I'm, I'm not going to bed like in any crazy hour. It's like I'm going to bed at midnight instead of at 10, for example. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's a holdover. But, you know, the funny thing is not to start a new conversation. <laughs> we never really got we never really got 100 percent acclimated to Arizona time. Hmm. Claudia and I were getting up at 530 pretty much the entire trip. And we once we realized that we wanted to wake up at 530, our bodies did. We sort of uh, made it an uh, effort to keep doing that. We got up and did yoga every morning at like 6 a.m. in the sunrise. And it was really wonderful. But it made it so that we were going to bed really early at night because we were getting up so early. So we never fully got into that time zone, I guess. Huh. How interesting. And have you continued your yoga practice now that you're home? No, not at all, (laughs) because I've been getting up too late in the morning. I've been getting up like at eight instead of at six, you know, so getting up at eight o'clock, you just, the morning's gone. You don't have time to do yoga if you get up at eight. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll leave it there. And if you have an idea for what you'd like to see, the big topic that kicks off the 10 year, 10th season of this show, if you have an idea of what you think that topic should be, no pressure, uh, (laughs) send us an email, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, You can also send us a note through social media. Yes, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for the Bittersweet Life podcast. And until next time, this is the Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Barks. Join us again. Bye. Support the show by wearing a Bittersweet Life t-shirt or socks or even a Bittersweet Life face mask. 
We have merch, and you might find your new favorite mug by visiting thebittersweetlife.net. Click on support to explore the merch catalog. And have fun!